In the birth of Jesus Christ, we celebrate God's desire for us to be redeemed and restored to loving relationship with himself. Seeking that gift of grace and love in God, let us pray our confession together. God of light, we are frightened by what you might expect of us if we get too close to the manger. Many sentiments may draw us attention away from this holy place. Our worldly passions have led us into comfortable ruts. We admit that some fear time killers, but others seem to have real value to us. What more can a baby offer us? Of what use is Messiah who ends up on the cross? O oh God, teach us what salvation is all about. Heal the emptiness that gives rise to our misplaced royalties and distorted dreams. We want to be whole people, experiencing wholesome relationships, giving ourselves to worldly causes. In Jesus' name, amen. Grace and redemption are ours. In God's love, we have been restored to wholeness and made one in Christ. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel. As a community of faith forgiven in God's grace, let us affirm our faith together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and seated on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let us now greet one another in Christ's name.
Merry Christmas. You can do better than that. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. All right, people, let's wake up. And Happy New Year to you all. We are glad that you're with us today. We have good news. The Michigan football season is over. <laughs> yes. Uh, we are grateful if you're joining us from afar and uh, have, are visiting this uh, fair part of the country. We hope that you will uh, find this to be a place of welcome as we come together to worship our newborn Savior in this the Christmas season. We invite you to fill out the friendship pads, which are in the pews, and uh, please put your name and uh, address and such that we can uh, be in contact with you after this day and welcome you into our midst. We hope that you also will note the names of those who are sitting near you and maybe continue conversation after uh, the service this morning. We invite you to, on your way out, as we have the last couple of weeks, to take a winter planner. I believe they're in the back there, uh, as you uh, would like to, I'm sure, learn about what is going on at Church of the Palms in the next uh, few months as we get new classes underway beginning next week. So lots of good things are in store. Wednesday uh, evenings, we'll have a new round of uh, adult education. Sunday night, I'll be teaching here in the sanctuary on the Apostles' Creed, and so lots of good things that are going on, and we hope that you will uh, make a point to find out more about those things. We will be um, celebrating the ministry of Nancy Brown coming up on January the 17th. That's in a few weeks. Nancy officially retires at the end of uh, this year in a few days, and uh, so we will be taking the time to celebrate her 25 years of ministry on the 17th of January. Uh, there will be uh, tickets being sold for that dinner uh, at, uh, after the service. I think they won't be underneath the tree today, um, but they'll be underneath the alcove in front of the campus center, so you may want to go over there and buy your tickets for that, uh, for that class. We are grateful for all the many ways by which we have been able to celebrate the birth of the newborn Savior in this Advent season and are especially grateful for all of you who have volunteered to make all of that happen. We also have uh, wonderful flowers here and if you are in the area after our 11 o'clock service, we invite you to come back and take a red poinsettia with you, but gotta wait until after the next service to do that. So let's continue our worship.
Don't know if you noticed, but we have a guest organist today. <laughs> Welcome back, Judy. Good to have you at the bench again. And her trusty sidekick over there, <laughs> Carolyn Decker, we're thankful as well to have you playing for us today. And we welcome Elise as well. We look forward to your singing this morning. Let us pray. Eternal and gracious God, amidst the quiet of this Christmas season, when chance is given to read cards and notes from friends and receive visits from family and to hear music that reminds us of that great story, we are grateful again to have this chance to worship you, to worship you, the one who was there at the beginning. In the beginning, we read it was you the one whose spirit hovered over the face of the deep and set the big bang into motion, the one whose breath filled the lungs of our mothers and fathers of long ago, the one who set the earth ablaze with every imaginable plant and flower and creature, the one who made covenant with creation to never let us go. We worship you. We worship you for we are in your image. You have included us in your gene pool. You call us your children. We are in relationship with you for this is who you are. You are love, love is you. So we worship to love you back, to be in relationship with you, to be covenanted to you. We have been to Bethlehem and we have seen the love We've seen the Word who was in the beginning with you, the Word who was you and is you. We have seen the love who loves us enough to be put at our mercy. Love that loves us enough to be vulnerable to the fumbling care of young traveling frightened peasants. You come to show us the love that was there at the beginning and we can't quite get our minds and hearts around this idea that the one responsible for the earth and sky, the sea and land, the plants and animals, the very breath of our bodies is the one who humbles himself to be the embryonic holdings of a teenage girl. We worship you for we know that the spirit that once hovered over the deep is the same spirit who hovers over each of our lives. And we pray that same spirit will move over the lives and souls of those we love and those we know who need your special grace. We continue to pray for those who grieve this season, who miss the special someone in their lives. We pray for the sick and for the lonely, for those who are reminded more of what they don't have than of what they do have. We pray for soldiers far away from their home serving their country. Remind them of our gratitude and of our prayers for peace and protection. And we pray for those who are still without work, especially those whose benefits have come to an end this weekend. Help us to find ways to feed them, clothe them, 
Encourage them till they find the work that will sustain them. All these things we pray, O God, in the name of the newborn Messiah, who dwells with us, all of us, light that shines in the darkness, the one who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let's continue our worship through the presentation of our tithes and gifts and offerings. to go. 
Let us pray. Alleluia is what we sing, joining the angels of long ago, rejoicing in the good news that Jesus Christ is born. We bring these gifts, as did wise men long ago, to that newborn Savior, asking, O Lord, that through your Spirit they will be used to reveal your light to all the world, that the world might know and see and believe that you so love the world that you sent your only Son. For we pray this in his name. Amen. You may be seated. We invite the children to come forward for the children's moment. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Yeah, glad to see you here. Good morning. How's it going? And first time acolyting? Excellent job. Thank you, thank you. Hey, Amy. So, Merry Christmas. You know, the Christmas season is just beginning. Since Christmas Eve, we are now into the Christmas season. 12 days of Christmas. We were in the season of Advent. Do you remember when we lit those Advent candles? We lit one each week, and then on Christmas Eve, we lit the Christ candle. That is a great tradition, that Advent wreath. Great tradition in our church. Goes back hundreds of years. I want to talk to you today about another tradition. If you had to guess, one candy that you only kind of see at Christmas time. I think that's the only time I ever see it. What would you think? Candy canes. Candy canes, that's right. The candy cane, this is a tradition. Hi, are you feeling better? Good to see you. This is a tradition, I don't know how true it is, but we can still learn some pretty cool things about Christmas about it. First thing, when you turn that candy cane upside down, what letter does that make? A J. A J. And whose birthday did we celebrate at Christmas? Jesus. So can we be any less enthusiastic that we celebrated Jesus's birthday? And so whenever you see this candy cane, you flip it upside down, you can go, hmm, that's why we get to even have Christmas is because of Jesus. When you flip it right side up, we did something in kids' worship. It was a bigger one of these that a shepherd would carry Kara, do you remember what it's called? Staff. A staff, a shepherd's staff. And what does a shepherd take care of? Sheep. Sheep. Takes care of, takes, takes care of sheep. That's right. Takes care of sheep. So how does he use this staff, pretend this is much bigger, to take care of his sheep? What does he do with it? What do you think, uh, Ryan? Um, when the sheep are on the cliff, he uses the staff to um, pick him up um, on the staff. That's right. When they're on the cliff, right before they go over, he can snag them back with this. What else? How else does he use it? What else does he do with his... Can anyone remember? We talked about it. What would you imagine if you had a great big stick and part of your job is to protect your sheep that are in your care? Mm, no, I... Mm, are you going to save me here? What else? Uh, uh, you could hit predators, maybe? Absolutely, to protect like bears or whatever kinds of things might come to eat your sheep, right? That he would use it for that. Maybe to guide them along the way. Well, guess what? In the Bible, it says that the Lord is our shepherd, which means that he's going to take care of us and protect us, much like a shepherd <laughs> takes care of his sheep. Okay, last thing, the color of a candy cane. This is not a great bright white, but there seems to always be white on candy canes. And you know what white stands for? It's like purity, like light, like perfection. And so you know when Jesus came to earth, he was a human just like you and me, except he was perfect. 
perfect, never sinned. The other color on the traditional candy canes is like red, which they often say about how Jesus was went to the cross for our sins, that that red sort of represents that. And then, of course, we get the resurrection and the Easter, which is the best part. But I like the candy canes with all the colors on them because they come in different flavors. And then you see a rainbow of colors. And every time I see a rainbow, I think about how God keeps his promises. And you know, one of the biggest promises that he makes for us is that he will love us forever. Never, ever let us go. So, when you eat a candy cane, think about Jesus. Think about how he is the good shepherd. Think about how he loves us so much, he'll never let us go. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we thank you for the gift of your son, showing us how to live, showing us how to love. Help us to be like him so that we are sharing your love everywhere we go. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
you may be seated. The reading today is from Luke and Matthew, the Christmas stories. First Luke chapter 22, verses 35. Hear the word of the Lord. When he did come out, he could not speak, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. He kept motioning to them and remaining unable to speak, and when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she remained in seclusion. She said, this is what the Lord has done for me when he looked favorably on me and took away the disgrace I have endured among my people. But in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid. Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called the Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month for her who is said to be barren, for nothing is impossible with God. And then reading in Matthew chapter 2, Verses 1 to 11. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star in its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring him word, so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen in its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When he saw that the star had stopped, they were overcome with joy 
And on entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A few years ago, when Lou Holtz was at the University of Arkansas, he was taking his team to play in a bowl game in, in Tempe, Arizona. Uh, the game was to be played on Christmas Day. Lou was asked how he felt about playing a game on Christmas Day. And he answered candidly, well, I'd rather be in Tempe. After all, when you've been to church, had Christmas dinner, and opened the presents, there's nothing left. Uh, to me, that was a little bit jarring, especially coming from a devout Catholic who gave the TV pep talk, Catholics come home. <laughs> and I thought about that, however, and I asked myself, uh, well, what do I do with Christmas Day after it is over? Do I dwell on it well beyond the 25th of December into the new year? Or do I pack that day and those events away for another year and wait another 12 months to unbundle them, bring them out, and uh, have the celebration again. How often in my regular reading do I turn frequently to the full Christmas story during the year and ask myself, what can I take from it going into the new year and in the months ahead? I asked someone the other day, not from this church, this question. Uh, how often do you read the Christmas story? And he said, well, not, not very much. In fact, uh, I have to confess, after Christmas, not at all. And he, uh, I said, why? And he said, well, uh, I've heard those stories from childhood, and I don't think there's anything that I don't know about them. And I suspect that might not be untypical. Uh, most of us say we know a lot about those stories. Uh, some may have said, I don't think there's anything else that we can learn or think about that we haven't already thought. It's kind of like the uh, chemistry professor and his chauffeur who had driven the professor to dozens of speaking engagements and he'd heard the same canned speech all over and over again. And on the way to a, an engagement, uh, the chauffeur said, you know, professor, I believe I could give your speech myself. I've heard it so often. And the professor said, well, I'll bet you $50 you can't. You're on, said the chauffeur. He stopped the car and the two exchanged their attire and they came to the banquet and the chauffeur was dressed in the tuxedo, sat at the head of the table and he was introduced. He stood up and gave the speech exactly as he'd heard it so many times before. There was a standing ovation when he was finished, and the MC got up and said, you know, we are so fortunate to have such a fine resource tonight in this man, and since we have a little extra time, let's explore some questions and answers. <laughs> well, the first question was asked, and the chauffeur was dumbfounded. What shall I do? He cleared his throat, and finally, in a flash of insight, he said, you know, that's about the dumbest question I have ever heard. In fact, it is so dumb, I'm going to ask my chauffeur to answer it. <laughs> <laughs> Most of us do know the familiar Christmas stories, don't we? 
They end in the way we have heard many times. That the feelings they normally stir in us uh, uh, are the same pretty much year to year unless something significant has happened. If these stories mean the same to us next year as they do right now, well, maybe it is good just to pack the season away and wait until next year. But I don't believe the scripture writers intended that the Christmas stories be written for one point of the year, a singular set of events. I believe they intended them to be an unfolding process of insight and application to our lives. My father, who like Steve's is also a pastor, or was a pastor I should say, uh, loved to memorize scripture. And he memorized the entire Christmas story, including all the prophecies of the Old Testament. I, ne I never ceased to wonder at his ability to recall even when he was 85 years of age. One of the things though that he did when we were home, he quoted it to us in our family worship at least twice a month. And at the end, he would often say, now, listen to me. Don't get locked in to the same version and interpretation of this story. There's always something new for these stories for me. They're alive, and I learn new things all the time when I read them and I quote them. Sometimes I wish he'd offer a little more variety in family worship, but I never forgot his message. Read them often. These stories are intended to instruct you in fresh ways as you face different situations throughout the year. And you know he was right. As I read them and tried to duplicate them, although I couldn't quite match his frequency, I knew and I saw the Christmas stories kind of unfolding into a kaleidoscope of new insights and applications for my life and my particular needs. Dad was correct. There is so much to probe about these stories that we shouldn't put them away. They can inform us and change us throughout the entire year. To put these rich gems on hold until next Christmas, I believe robs believers of the nourishment and rootedness which God wants for them to be produced in their lives. And that includes all the stories. We love that Luke story, don't we? It's such a beautiful story, inspiring and sobering. And so we tend to focus on that in our reading. But if we focus only on that, we miss some very powerful spiritual truths for our lives. All of the Christmas stories, the good and the bad, the sober and the happy, are relevant to our following in the footsteps of Jesus. All of the scriptures, all of the Christmas story is important to learn from and pay attention and respond to. But you know, we start with the one we love the most, don't we? We start with Luke. Commentators have called it the beautiful version. We love it, it's inspiring, it's a feel-good story. Even though if you look at it more closely, there are some hidden cracks in its plot of such difficulties as Mary becoming pregnant under strange circumstances, becoming possibly a subject of derision, a dangerous journey from uh, Nazareth to Bethlehem in the latter stages of pregnancy. No room for them in the end, a manger for a delivery table, and as a couple, very much alone in the world. Yes, there were a few difficulties, but those are overshadowed by the charming and wonderful inspiration of that story. The light of Christ in the darkness, a love story set to angelic music, beautiful stars that move, 
adoring shepherds, and an overjoyed priest who had been waiting for years for the promised one. Mary magnifying the Lord. What a beautiful side of Christmas. We love this virgin. It continues to provide meaning and inspiration for us. We want it to be the never-ending core of our own celebration of Christmas. But there is another story. Matthew's version. A sadder and darker and harsher tale. One filled with depression and suspicion and hatred and betrayal, murder, and pain in the hearts of many. A paranoid, disturbed king that orders the slaughter of the baby boys of Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem was much smaller in those days, so scholars estimate that probably there were 20 boys in that town under the age of two. Rounded up by Herod's soldiers and slaughtered on the spot, 20 boys, the boys of Bethlehem. It took a miracle for Joseph and Mary to escape from danger with their child. Soldiers were chasing the Christ. Everywhere there was hatred and murder and weeping in the homes. The doors locked shut. The families hid in their homes. Mothers holding their babies, their dead babies, sometimes in their arms. So much pain in the heart of this Christmas story. And except for the Magi's star, I don't think this story really is an easy call for us to celebrate. But this is as much a part of the Christmas story as what Luke records. It's an important view for us. It's a view of the pain that can surround the Christmas celebration in addition to the joy. The weeping of Rachel is a reflection of what many people are feeling at this time. For many people, Christmas is a difficult time. I know that one of my close friends uh, uh, from up north hates this time of year. His wife ran off with someone else before Christmas and he told me, when I see other families having a wonderful time, I think only of the pain that tore through me when she filed for divorce on December the 23rd. A few nights ago, we participated in that wonderful service, The Longest Night. What a meaningful service. But it was painful to many who were attending who had lost a spouse this year and for, were, for the first time were alone. Well, I could go on and on about uh, uh, the, these truths uh, and these stories, but uh, the key question is, how can we take the entire Christmas story? How can we work with it and make it applicable to our lives? How can we allow God to work through us, not only in Christmas time, but month after month after month in the, in the midst of these beautiful stories? I, I believe that God wants to make these stories not just simply ones with a beginning and an end, but an active, ongoing process in which I open my heart and my mind to him and allow him to use some of these events to change my perspective, my priorities, and my life circumstances. But how do I do that? Well, I think the answer is in Luke chapter 2, verse 19, which we read this morning. Mary treasured up all of these things and pondered them in her heart. I think as we regularly read these Christmas stories, we are put in a position to make them fresh in our hearts by treasuring and pondering them in new ways. I think it was C.S. Lewis who said, we don't need to be told new ideas as much as to be refreshed by the old truths. So how do we treasure these stories, these old truths? Well, the word treasure has 
the idea of counting things up so that uh, nothing of value is forgotten or lost from our mind. We treasure them, we count them up, we, we gather them together, and then we ponder. I've thought about the word ponder. Uh, uh, some people have said a synonym is, well, something like questioning or wondering, but I think it goes deeper than that. It means to take the events of this story as you have laid them out in your memory and then go underneath the surface to try to understand what that story means for me, why it happened the way it did, and what is my application in it. I don't know whether you've tried to do pondering in that sense, but it's not the easiest work in the world. It involves a lot of self-examination. It's probably why many of us never get around to doing it much. But what a better time than now to ponder what God wants to teach us from these stories. How over the last few months God has used them to work in your life and in the months ahead, how they can be used as applications, new ways to approach life and to approach relationships. I think the process of pondering begins with reading the stories, not just once at Christmas time, but reading them all year long and then asking God to show you the things he wants you to learn from these stories. One of the things that might help is to make a list of the things, to treasure them, what is valuable. The things that happened to you personally or have happened to others that had an impact on you, good or bad. And look at these things through the lens of the Christmas stories. Ask God to show you what patterns are at work. What is he teaching me through these stories? What lessons seem to come up again and again why are these stories telling something about me that I need to hear? What insight might provide a clue to where he wants to lead me in the months ahead? Who should I pay attention to that I haven't among my circumstances and friends? Who should I love more, even though they may not be the most lovable people in the world? And when we do that, then we can begin to understand the deeper value of our experience with these stories of our Lord's birth. We can understand what Christmas is doing to change our perspective, our attitudes. How can Christmas not be another item in the calendar, but a new life and perspective and attitude? That's what we begin to learn from the stories as we read them regularly. When we read those stories, we won't go home next year with the same thoughts and ways. For those of us who've had a bad time and said, bah humbug, I survived another one, they'll start to see some new truths from these stories and see li their lives transformed so that others will begin to recognize that something significant has happened. We'll have a greater understanding of an interest in, the, in being a servant and how we take the birth message and we live it out in our lives. When we're tempted to feel depressed and out of control, the adoring parent and the adoring shepherds will call us to open our hearts to the Lord. When we feel left behind and alone to cope with life, the host of angels will tell us that we're not alone and we can, in turn, be what God wants us to be. We will learn to put our trust in God, the same God who delivered the baby Jesus out of Egypt safely. And rather than some dreading Christmas every year, the stories will increase our understanding of what it's about and how it is changing us. One person the other day said, I can't wait till this season is over. 
Maybe if we live in the Christmas stories all year, that person will begin to see the, the light of Christ, child working through them. That's what happens when the stories continue all year long. Well, we all know that Christmas is a celebration ends. We know that we have some work to do. We have to take down the tree. We have to use or return the gifts. We have to go back to work or school or back to our activities. But the real question that comes out of this season is, what is changing in us as a result of dwelling on the Christmas stories? Will it be business as usual in 2014? Well, I don't think it will be if we read the stories. Look at the Magi and the shepherds. Their lives were never the same after they encountered the birth stories. The work was the same, but they were different. They went back with new zeal, new joy, new love for God in their hearts. We've heard the saying, oh, could we keep the spirit of Christmas all year? The magic of Christmas only comes once a year. That's not enough. Well, it depends on what magic people are talking about. If they mean the food and the fun and the gifts, well, it is only once a year. But the greater truth of Christmas is that our hearts can be warmed all year long. So my concern and my advice to all of us, as you would give to me, is don't park this glorious day for another year. Let the stories speak to you. Let them speak to me every day of the year. Learn from them. And for those who are charmed by the story, let the Christ child teach you how to empathize with others who are less than charmed by these stories whose life circumstances have proven otherwise. Allow the already bright light of Jesus and the event of that birth to change each day our lives and our outlook. Let the one that continues to speak to your heart through the birth also inform you as you walk day by day with him. For those who, who, for whom Christmas surfaces some troublesome thoughts, ask the Lord to separate your version of that Christmas from what is real. And what is real is that in the midst of the disappointments and letdowns, He is there. And let Him embrace the power of His story in fending off what may be discouraging to you. Recapture that feeling. Ask for His armor and His shield to empower you. God can be at work, and I do believe that uh, when He is at work and allowed to give us some insights into how His birth unfolds month after month in our lives, we'll be able to say Merry Christmas a lot in the course of the year. Most of us get a kick out of the Who Saved Christmas movies. Uh, there are a lot of them, The Man Who Saved Christmas, The Dog Who Saved Christmas, and its sequel, The Dog Who Saved Christmas Vacation. Uh, the little girl who saved Christmas, the toy who saved Christmas, that's the VeggieTales uh, version, uh, the goblin who saved Christmas, I don't know about that one, and even the Muslim cabbie who saved Christmas for a well-meaning couple. But you know the way to save Christmas? The way to save Christmas is for its story to be continually on our heart, in our thoughts, in our actions, and not confined to the end of the year. The wonder of Christmas is God coming and coming and coming and here right now. It's us saying Merry Christmas all year round based on what God is continually doing in our lives. 
I know that people would think you're either crazy or a Presbyterian minister if you went around all year saying Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas at the beach. Merry Christmas at the end of the Michigan football season this year. <laughs> yes, you would be awed, but you'd be right. If the stories live on and teach us, Christmas can be any day in our life. And in fact, it is the gift of God's presence coming again and again and again. As the poet said, the star is before you still. Follow it. The wonder of Christmas. God is coming again. He's coming here. He cannot be confined to the end of the year. For the gift of his presence comes again and again. of the Lord Jesus and the loving communion with God and the blessed Holy Spirit's presence in our lives. Keep us as we leave this place in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.